Onassis Foundation and Movement Radio present The Archipelago, a podcast series that follows ideas erupting from the abyss of human activity. Hosted by Yanis Orestis Papadimitriou. is not a solid terrain piling up on its own remains. It is the sum of every clouded memory and half-spoken word, forever in flux, always dissolving in the sea of history. It is an anarchic patchwork of thought and creativity, hidden behind grand narratives of actions, the minor overtaken by the major and erased from the record. The archipelago, the fluid territory of emerging thought, is the recovered record. In the years of the Greek crisis from 2010 onwards, a new style emerged in Greek cinema. Named by curators and journalists Weird Wave, it gradually took over international audiences despite its vast diversity in themes and styles. In 2018, The Favorite, the latest film of one of Weird Wave's pioneers, Yorgos Lanthimos, was nominated for no less than 10 Academy Awards. Following years of work in the field of modern Greek studies, Dimitris Papanikolaou, an associate professor and fellow of St. Cross College at the University of Oxford, has published the book Greek Weird Wave, a Cinema of Biopolitics. In this episode, he talks about this peculiar cinematic style, the understanding of power it proposes, and the concept of biopolitical realism. This is the Archipelago, a weekly show on Movement Radio. I am Jan Sores for Dimitriou. This episode was recorded in lockdown mode and edited by Stefanos Kostantinidis. Dimitris Papanikolaou, welcome to the Archipelago. Uh, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Uh, before we go into your book, uh, let's start with an attempt towards a definition. Uh, what is the Greek weird wave? I think the term is quite contested. Yes, well, yeah. First of all, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Um, thanks for um, uh, giving me the space to elaborate. Uh, it's actually the first interview I'm giving um, after the publication of the book, The Greek Weird Wave. Um, you're right in asking. The reason being that um, since the beginning of the term, as you say, it was contested, it is still contested today um, in two ways. First of all, throughout the decade of the 2010s, 2010 to 2019, um, people actively said that uh, the term weird wave is problematic, insulting even. But at the same time, uh, nowadays it's also contested because people say that whatever there was as a Greek weird wave in Greek cinema has now gone. It's ended. So two, um, two, two insights into the end of the Greek, Greek weird wave that some people also say never, never was. 
So what's the Greek weird wave? Um, it's it's a term uh, that started first as a commentary um, in um, the newspaper, the Guardian newspaper, um, in uh, 2011, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's a term that immediately, um, initially rather, um, was meant to describe uh, the new Greek films that came. Um, after um, Yorgos Lanthimos, Lanthimos' uh, films, but also Athena Rachel Changari. Funnily enough, also different films, like the films by Panos Kutras, other films by Makridis, um, uh, you name it, the whole generation that came, after, came out with uh, films that uh, got international release after 2009. A whole new generation of filmmakers... Uh, many films that coincided with what uh, internationally was called the Greek crisis. Well, um, you had to give a name to the film, uh, to the films themselves, a collective name to, to the film themselves. Is the, if the country was under the Greek crisis, then the films had to be seen as a wave. So um, the Greek weird wave, um, which uh, sounds even weirder. <laughs> even more weird uh, in Greek, to paraxeno kima, um, the Greek weird wave of the Greek of, uh, um, of, of cinema or the weird wave of the Greek cinema uh, was a, a journalistic um, appellation, um, a term that immediately though um, became popular, especially internationally, uh, in international fora like um, uh, international festivals, film festivals, critics used it a lot, Companies as well, um, distribution companies used it a lot in order to promote their material or to buy Greek films. It became part and parcel with uh, the Greek cinema to the extent that you cannot really distinguish it. This is where I start from in my book. It is a moment uh, to uh, narrate a history of the Greek weird wave, even if we somehow question the term itself. I think it's not only us who question it, but also uh, the filmmakers themselves. I think they are reluctant to identify with it. Am I right? Yeah, that's very interesting. And this is a story I I, I give many pages uh, to in my book. I I think I I give enough space in my book to say that story. The the many filmmakers, the many Greek critics, especially Greek critics who um, actually felt um, an unease with the term. And it is very uneasy, of course, to be uh, called weird. Um, what does it mean weird if if not uh, an inability to understand? Um, a, some people felt it was a patronizing term. Uh, it was uh, a term smacking of uh, almost Orientalism or colonialism, you know, a European center or a Western center that somehow terms something that comes from the periphery as weird. Um, at the same time, though, as I explain in my book, it's it's a useful term. Um, let's see what uh, let let's play with it. Uh, let's uh, use it as a conceptual challenge. Uh, but yes, as you say, uh, many directors, even Lanthimos himself, um, have um, have voiced their concern about the term "weird wave." Now, the wave itself, how is it um, culturally important? What made you go further into analyzing it? Yeah, I mean, the the whole point of the Greek weird wave, uh, and I think the biggest challenge for me was to see the films that um, came out of Greece during that period of crisis 
as related to uh, the whole sociopolitical context uh, in uh, ways that are not um, direct, of course, always, um, related nevertheless. Um, my, my whole challenge was not to not to see whether there was a, a distinct wave of films, what exactly this generation of filmmakers was trying to do as a generation and all that, uh, even though these are concerns that we can have. My, my main question, though, is how do we end up um, creating a group of films, uh, watching um, filmmaking from one country, one country under crisis, um, and how do we establish connections with other cultural texts that come out of this country, with uh, what is happening on the ground, uh, perhaps with uh, other types of discussions, with what is happening on the public sphere in terms of uh, um, political, social debates? Um, and uh, there, if you if you if you go down that line, you find that um, the Greek weird wave indeed is trying to say something new. There is a new way in, um, with which the films try to engage with what you would call their sociocultural reality, their uh, sociocultural context. Um, I know you might ask me about this later. Um, <laughs> and but, I will, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but just to give, like, I mean, uh, the, 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 the most obvious thing is that they are not directly going for the reference. Uh, we did not have as many films as, as we expected showing the impoverishment of Greeks or going for tragic, sto- tragic stories of, um, um, you know, this, um, dispersed people, disunited family, etc. Um, uh, what we saw was a much more complex um, engagement with form, with storylines, um, and also a very interesting uh, way to do art during a difficult period. People getting together, working in one's, um, uh, one in the other's films, uh, trying finding new ways to promote their films, to produce them too. Um, everything um, was uh, everything uh, was being destroyed and uh, um, going berserk, and uh, still films were being made. For me, that was the the mom, the, the, the the point I had to start from. Uh, and uh, it all um, got on from there. I mean, I developed a whole argument based exactly on these questions. Uh, my point was not whether there is a specific wave of films that came out of Greece um, and uh, its specific um, characteristics. My main question was, what do we do with that? <laughs> Uh, and we'll get back to this, but uh, I'd like to stay for a moment in what you mentioned as uh, the generation that started to produce these films. And uh, there's uh, an important part of, the, of your book that uh, possibly the entry point of your book is the Filmmakers in the Fog movement, which yeah. uh, at the time we can remember it. It seeks to liberate um, Greek cinema from what they consider to be um, a somewhat rigid system of academies, awards, institutional funding that they feel cut off from. So... Uh, are the filmmakers you study in your book, the Greek Weird Wave filmmakers participating in this movement, how are they related to it? 
Yeah, as, as with everything, um, to, everything to do with cinema during that decade, roughly from 2008 to 2019, let's say, the decade I discuss in the book, as uh, with everything else, um, cinema and directors and, and filmmakers, producers, um, the whole uh, the whole milieu of cinema making, um, does not... Um, does not conform to our expectations from, say, a social movement or from directly engaged, socially engaged art. Uh, for me, that is fascinating, but it does not conform. So um, for those outside Greece who may not know this, yes, um, the whole... Um, I'm mentioning um, Yorgos Lanthimos a lot because he is the most, um, the, the most well-known internationally. But of course, there's a whole big uh, group of people uh, who are active in, um, in after 2006, 2007, 2008. And indeed, they get together um, um, to produce what became the fog movement, filmmakers of Greece, uh, and in Greek kinematographistes in Omichli, even the wordplay is interesting, even the idea of the fog is interesting if you think about that. Um, and, and, and there, yes, you have a generational point that these people make. Uh, they want a different type of um, filmmaking. Uh, they want the state to um, um, engage with uh, the film industry in different new ways. Uh, they create this big uh, fuss in the beginning. Yes, it is. It is. It is almost a movement, you would say, um, young people who defend their position, who take their films out of the main state festival altogether at one point, and they demand something new. And then the crisis hit. So as with uh, other developments, um, the crisis came uh, slightly after, say, the fog, uh, filmmakers in the fog movement. The crisis also came, just to remind you, after a film that became uh, internationally celebrated and many people saw as, you know, the film of a, a new troubled Greece, Dogtooth. Dogtooth was in production uh, before um, the crisis hit, before 2008-2009. Strela, another film that is uh, kind of related with that beginning of a new filmmaking um, tendency, strategy in Greece, um, uh, Strela, A Woman's Way by Panos Kutras, also was being made before the crisis hit. And indeed, I believe, before the fog uh, movement. But um, all that somehow in 2008, um, where we, you have um, December 2008, you have these big um, events in the center of Athens after the killing of teenager Grigoropoulos, um, 2009, you have the financial crisis starting. Um, all that somehow gets um, creates uh, an event. It might not have been premeditated. Uh, you might not um, be able to say that filmmakers in the fog uh, were an exact um, um, an exact result, a direct result of the Greek crisis, um, but. Once everything, um, once the crisis came, they were also there, and something we knew, something was happening with Greek cinema. If you ask me, though, uh, Greek um, cinema, um, the Greek cinema milieu uh, was one of the artistic milieus that understood very well 
that a crisis was coming. Uh, that's my. Uh, I'm very persuaded that uh, um, if we go down the line of thinking direct relations, yes, those strange films that started coming out of Greece, as well as the new voices um, that somehow, in an organized manner, tried to undermine authority in the film industry in uh, the late um, 2000s in uh, in Greece. Yes, they were sensing that something big was coming. Now, you know that's interesting. If, if I may yeah. cut in here, because uh, there is um, the, the period from the mid '90s to 2010 uh, is a period of uh, you know with a widespread belief in the uh, the power of the economy. We have this uh, Greece enters the euro. We have a booming market for some years. Uh, there's a, a widespread cosmopolitanism of sorts that I'm not sure if it was uh, there in previous generations, uh, right? So you feel like this um, this this tendency of a booming market. We're becoming more and more like the big Western countries, and then suddenly it all falls down. You know, it collapses like a, a house of cards. Yeah, hell, hell breaks loose. That is that is also very interesting. I mean, you have 2004, the Olympic Games, um, and and uh, a concomitant belief in the power of the market, and um, you have uh, something similar happening in the arts as well. Um, and it is not only cinema. Uh, However, at the same time, you do have voices that um, state that something is not proper here, that something is going wrong. You have this metaphor um, of the uh, um, uh, uh, of a pot that is um, somehow, uh, or, or rather, you have uh, you have this metaphor that something is boiling inside, you know, boiling pot. And you uh, burst. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there is a film. That I use very much. There is a film from much earlier uh, called Matchbox, where you have a, a family really uh, a, a, a bursting, um, the family ties bursting, the family members almost about to kill each other, or at least, uh, you know, uh, being so dramatic it is very difficult to even watch the film. Um, and then. Uh, That was not really in the beginning of the, when it came out in 2002-2003. I mean, nobody nobody had eyes for that. Nobody had the time to watch a, a film that so uh, showed the Greek family in disarray in tatters. Uh, somehow, six years later, with Dogtooth, uh, you have the same. If not, you have you have like the repetition of the same theme. But now, everybody understood. Um, there was something bigger there. So um, perhaps um, there was this belief in the markets, as you say. Uh, and uh, to be honest, this is not a belief that went away. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, we, we sometimes want to be very um, um, kind of uh, uh, utopian and think that in Greece, you know, art is uh, like a utopian field where uh, people sort of uh, get in huge communities and uh, talk about social justice uh, without taking any money and uh, by finding uh, a gift economies in order to produce their art. No, this is not uh, necessarily the case, even though it exists sometimes. Um, and uh, the filmmakers in the fog that you mentioned before uh, uh, actually included um, many filmmakers. Uh, 
some of them I'm, I've just mentioned as well, who worked in uh, in um, the the advertising industry, uh, who worked very well with funders all over the world, and uh, um, big production companies started uh, having an interest in, in in Greece. We had new production com- com- companies in Greece. I mean, there is a market, and the same happens with every other art. Um, uh, mutatis mutandis in different ways. Uh, the, the, the power of the market is still there. What, though, um, perhaps um, changed in the uh, 2000s was that uh, this idea that uh, Greek society was without any problem as long as the markets um were um, going well. First of all, the markets didn't go well after a certain point. And secondly, it was then that all sorts of uh, issues came out to demand public and central presence in Greek society. Uh, The uh, differences between generations, the unsolved uh, relation with the past and specific periods, uh, political issues and uh, issues to do with identity, belonging, and the public sphere, the media. Uh, All these um, became like, um, came to the forefront precisely uh, when the crisis hit uh, and this was not necessarily related uh, to the power of the markets or not. It was related to the power of society to antagonize the markets, to survive the markets, um, to remain <laughs> to, to, to remain there. You say that we that uh, Greek cinema felt uh, the crisis coming, and they could they were able to trace it in so everyday social relations uh, to an extent. They could see that we were heading somewhere that was not a good place. <laughs> let's say, uh, but the, the, there is no concrete political ideology that we can attribute to this movement, right? No, to the to the cinematographers, to the directors and film movements, I'm not sure uh, we can attribute a political ideology. Once again, it's not a movement that um, comes ex- exactly where you expect it to come. Uh, and I'm not even sure that it, uh, many people would be happy with the idea of a movement as such. Um, there is a big discussion, there's a good debate over whether Greek uh, directors um, after after the crisis hit um, created a sort of a movement. Yes, there were um, manifesto-type texts, there were moments that we could uh, see as defin- definitive moments, defining moments, uh, but at on the other hand, um, you don't have like a, a moment like the Nouvelle Vague in France in the 60s, right? You don't have like a periodical, you don't have uh, a big uh, debates about theory, about form. Uh, what you do have, though, is a sense, is a, is a general atmosphere that something has changed. Cinema shows this very well. And my argument is that cinema is not alone. Uh, if you, the, the larger cultural context followed a similar path. Yes, you did have more political art in some cases. Um, I think more in literature, perhaps less in cinema, yet we did have, we did have flagship um, uh, films um, that tried to show a different Greece and also tried to make a big political um, statement. Um, To give you an example, the film Park, for instance, by Sofia Exarchou, is a political film uh, about uh, a young generation being lost in the crisis at the same time as uh, the big um, 
parks of the 2004 Olympic Games are being um, left there, derelict, uh, empty. Um, but um, if anything, my point has been that uh, just to, 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 to start with film, to, to, to focus on film for a moment, um, that many of these films, uh, we acknowledge it or not, have been political in a different way. Let me explain this. Uh, this is the this is the the crux of this is the the center of my book. Um, have you those of you who know some Greek films? And it is easy today. Um, you just go online and you do the ten uh, ten Greek weird wave films, the twenty best weird wave films, and you there see like internationally you see um, so many lists. Uh, they abound, yeah, and it is the first time. Or taste of cinema. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you you uh, you find everywhere, and also there are, there are even channels uh, like Mubi, for instance. Every time they have a new Greek film, they immediately um, uh, put it under the banner uh, Greek Weird Wave. Uh, I understand why directors, of course, are angry with that, but uh, yes, it's it's been like an identity kind of for new Greek cinema. So anyway, go go around, pick, pick up ten films pick up 20 films from that period after 2009 in Greece. Uh, and have you ever wondered why they film so much um, empty spaces, empty urban, semi-urban or rural spaces constantly? Um, they talk a lot about violence, violence on the body. Uh, the family suddenly became a, a major issue and actually the dysfunctional family. Put it all together. I mean, why do they do that? And this is my argument. My argument is that somehow they all return to questions of uh, politics in the in the most theoretical, but also the larger um, uh, and perhaps more important sense. Um, politics as a way of governance. Uh, it is power. It is the art of governance, the art of shaping bodies, shaping relations ordering space that becomes the center of these films. If you wonder why so many of these films filmed empty spaces, um, then just look around you in the last year. <laughs> the, most, <laughs> you know, the most amazing biopolitical results, um, if, bio, if by biopolitical we acknowledge the power over life, the most amazing biopolitical result that we have seen happening uh, during the confinement is those empty streets, uh, those locked down um, um, cities. Um, well, somehow, eerily, uh, the Greek cinema had been there before. Um, they, 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 they sensed uh, what happens. They, they tried to find a form to speak about power. To speak power about power over bodies, about power over populations, about this kind of politics that focuses on power over life. And that actually relates uh, much more Greek films than we, we had thought um, uh, in the past, uh, Greek recent films. And actually it gives Greek cinema a political edge that I believe we are not very used, um, we, we are not uh, very keen on discussing. Um, but it's high time maybe today to, uh, to, 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 to go back and see that decade. Uh, yes, 
um, Greek cinema, and I could make the same point about parts of Greek literature, uh, as well as art, um, theater, etc., uh, was perhaps less directly political than we had uh, felt it might uh, or it should be. But no, um, it was political in a different way. It was edgy, and it did talk a lot about the power of life, that biopolitical power that we then in yet another crisis, the recent COVID crisis, we saw coming once again in the center of um, in, in this in the center of the contemporary world of our everyday life. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking of this. I mean, if we think about the 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 rural landscape of Greece, right, where you have this strange mix of some um, you know very imposing, uh, supposedly industrial buildings that are mostly de- decrepit or have never been used as as they were meant. And uh, since Greece is lacking, you know, some proper studios uh, like you would find in major um, cinematic industries, uh, isn't this? Uh, couldn't we say that this? Uh, uh, you know. The, the, these frames of um, big space and abandonment are also the best, the, the, the only thing that these filmmakers working with a slightly impoverished, uh, with low budgets, uh, let's say, that they were the most hyper-real settings they could find for their films. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Um, um That's interesting. Uh, <laughs> not only not only rural, semi-rural as well as urban uh, abandoned places um, created the scenery that was there, there ready, um, and it was also very. It was eerie. It was uh, somehow it had the impact there, the imprint of a capitalism gone wrong. Um, this is why I think yes, rural. Yes, I, I, I remember, for instance, a film by Yanis Konomidis, uh, um, The Knifer, for instance, that has this kind of empty rural spaces. Um, there's also a part in, in, in Panos Kutras' Estrella. There is Panos Kutras' Attenberg also, yes. Panos Kutras' Xenia, uh, yes. Tsangaris, Attenberg, where you find... Uh, but you see, if you go um, to... Tsangaris Attenberg, a brilliant feminist film. Uh, I think what uh, is there is not really the aspect of the rural part, even though I think that's small. Uh, it is the, the opposite is actually the uh, an abandoned city, an abandoned town, industrial town. Um, and for me, uh, what's there most important is that you see a town that was made for specific relations, for a specific, it was uh, an industrial town. Um, it's kind of built and uh, lying empty now, at least in the film, um, somehow related directly to economies of abandonment. And the film itself is um, a film about economies of abandonment, uh, as it is also about... Uh, Again, once again, powers of governance, uh, ways of shaping life uh, through space, too. Um, but uh, um, then again, you have, um, for instance, uh, a film that, well, if you want to find a, a film that directly tried to say something um, about the Greek crisis uh, in the heart of the Greek crisis, that was the 2012 film Boy Eating the Bird's Food. Um, by Hector Asligizos, 
um, an amazing film, um, almost shot with one camera, no budget, in uh, what seems like an empty city, an empty block of flats, um, empty, um, emptied of everything, um, including food and money, but also people. Um, the one character only who ends up, of course, eating the bird's food to survive. Um, but um, an almost empty city, um, empty shops. Uh, uh, and, and there I can see what you're saying. I mean, um, it was an easy, it, it, it was also an easy scenery because that was somehow empty shops, for instance, were there to be filmed, <laughs> were uh, the most obvious um, um, scenery that you had in the, um, in the Greek crisis, especially in the early years of 2010s. But once again, for me, what I, I realized, especially watching again these films recently, is that that feeling of emptiness um, creates, actually creates two things. The first is uh, uh, this thing that Mark Fisher says, uh, you know, em empty space uh, has this eerie feeling because you realize that capital has always already been there. Uh, the imprint of what has happened is there. Uh, of what has gone wrong is there, uh, almost like a shadow, a constant shadow, right? Um, but at the same time, uh, what happens with empty spaces is that, um, uh, and especially think of it in a visual way, um, you, um, if, 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 if suddenly, if you have a power over population and you can order them out, you can easily order them in. You can easily order them uh, to, um, uh, to empty a space, an emptied space still means power over a population. You have ordered them to be somewhere else. <laughs> uh, and uh, for me, that created a... Um, I actually was rewriting the book, was finishing the book um, during the very first months of lockdown. And um, it, was, it was almost a eureka moment to realize, you know, how much those empty streets of Athens were reminding me of uh, scenes I had seen in the films of what can be described as the Greek new wave or the Greek weird wave. You know, there are other aspects that also seem to be constrictions that um, that weird wave has turned on its head. Uh, for example, this uh, acting style that is uh, prevalent in most of these filmmakers' uh, movies seems like to be it's like it is a complete reversal of the you know the performance we associate with the mainstream soap dramas and uh, run of the mill comedies of the 1950s and 1960s which are you know we grew, we grew up uh, hearing that they were uh, and they were called um, the golden age of, of Greek cinema right so I'm thinking is there any conscious choice is there a part of weird wave that's also a comment on filmmaking? Yeah, that that's a, a very good question. Of course, that goes for some films, not for every films, and uh, it's a similar question uh, to do with allegory, for instance. Some of these films are are allegorical, and thus can also carry uh, very well a type of strange acting and non-realistic. Um, others are not, and there is a lot of realism in uh, new Greek cinema. Um, we shouldn't underestimate that part too. Uh, we may uh, speak about this in a moment, but uh, you're right that in uh, many films, including many celebrated films, um, um, there is this kind of uh, acting, offbeat dialogue, um, delivery of lines, 
people acting strangely, um, this kind of it's, uh, um, uh, popular Beckett kind of thing, pop Beckett. Um, or um, I don't know this 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 kind of absurdity uh, that is um, underlined by the type of acting. Um, I'm not sure whether this is a comment on filmmaking. It may as well be. Yes, of course. Uh, it may also be a way to um, um, uh, make you aware of the uh, construction that's there. Um, but I, I, I recently have been thinking about this um, um, a, a lot through through. I rewatched um, a film that's you know it's 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 for the aficionados. I mean, uh, if you're not into this kind of film, you will not love it. But uh, L by Macridis, uh, and also Pity by Macridis too. This uh, films by Babis Macridis, which you could. You could see it's very strange, indeed very weird, and uh, part of the weird wave. And um, there you have, of course, as you said, everybody um, acting in a way that is uh, completely uh, dissociated, uh, almost like a, a kind of um, um, yeah, they're offbeat and, um, in a sense, uh, um, to put it mildly, uh, in a non-realistic way. Um, but then... Uh, maybe there is a scenario in which this type of acting could um, could sort of relate. Um, to think about that, I, 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 I remembered um, this um, this film, The Truman Show. Um, I, I think it's twenty years now uh, they've seen it, um, in which you know Truman uh, is a central character uh, who has was born and raised in a TV studio uh, in, um, in order to create a 24-7 live um, um, channel, actually, out of his life, right? It's uh, The Truman Show is an early film that shows this kind of Big Brother-style uh, programs, reality TV at its utmost. Think of, you know, what if there was a person who was born in a studio and who was born to be a, a reality TV all his her life. Um, and if you if you if you went back to this film, um, you would realize that um, Truman, the central character who has lived all his life in a studio, believing you know that the end of the studio is his horizon, actually has an offbeat delivery himself. He has also a very strange type of humor, of course, because it's somebody who, without his knowledge, uh, everybody turning around him um, were always speaking to him in a constructed manner, in a very um, sort of, uh, in, a, in, in a very acting style, um, to use a good phrase uh, used in Greece today, uh, everybody around him were good actors. Uh, so um, uh, all his life. So if you see Truman himself, the way he 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 sort of carries himself is strange indeed. Uh, the way he speaks is not natural. Um, he has uh, he's distanced. He has a distance even uh, from which he says. And this is not because what he says is a script, but because he has lived in scripts all his life, right? without his knowledge. So um, if you take that line 
a lot of Greek cinema in the last 10 years is about a Truman Show type of reality. Well, Doctors is, uh, I think Doctors is really similar <laughs> to the... Yeah, Doctors, but L by Macredis as well, if you see it like that, is almost like a, like, like a commentary uh, on, uh, on uh, the Truman Show. But yes, Doctors, for instance, where you have a family um, that... Um, Uh, you have a, a family that uh, are enclosed by the father, uh, have to live there. The, the three kids have uh, spent all their lives in the in the house. Okay, how would these kids speak if everything they had to live through had actually been a script, a script um, put together by the fam- by the parents? You know, then you do you do have a an offbeat delivery. Because somehow, you know your script already, if you have to repeat it all the time. Um, take another film by Lanthimos called Alps. Uh, there, too, I mean, that's a, a, an interesting one because, you know, you have, a, a, you have a, a group of people who want to basically console, who console for, um, for a prize. I mean, they go to bereaved families and they offer, um, uh, they, they, they offer Um, assistance in the form of uh, um, preparing one or two, um, basically standing for the deceased person for one or two hours uh, per week. Uh, so um, a family has lost uh, their daughter. Um, so Alps, the company of bereavement, um, comes there and produces a um, woman uh, who is not like their daughter, but could play the, uh, that role. So could repeat phrases that the daughter was saying, could perhaps play tennis if the daughter was playing tennis, uh, uh, wear the same clothes, the same shoes, indeed being in that person's shoes. Uh, and uh, there you realize that for the members of the Alps, of that com- bereavement company, to be very much in character, to be very much, to be good professionals, they have to be uh, stilted. They have to speak as if there is a problem. They have to be distanced. The more distanced they are, the more in their role they are. So there's this kind of constant game, uh, with, uh, as, you say, uh, as you said, with acting, Um, and again, I'm not sure this was not a political statement. Uh, in the way I read it, it was. We all became a little stilted uh, in the last 10 years because we all started knowing the script, you see. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this actually could lead us easily to the core of the book. Um, and I'd like to start with the family. You know, you, you've written uh, a large part of your book talks about the significations, the multiple significations um, of the family in a Greek weird wave cinema. Uh, and you, you say that it stands as a metonymy. Now, uh, in order to understand metonymy, I'd like to start by asking you this. How is it different from metaphor or symbolism? As you said, metonymy is a, it, it takes a, a, a big part of my book. And uh, it is a way, what I came up with in order to understand uh, what was going on, not only in cinema in Greece over the last 10 years, uh, but in Greek culture more generally. Uh, the whole of Greek culture went for metonymical ways of uh, expression. I believe also the best criticism actually became a metonymical criticism. I'll explain this briefly. So um, you have um, a metaphor where um, one thing stands for something else, right? So um, a rose stands for love, 
Uh, now, metaphor is very central in the way we express ourselves for various reasons, uh, and not only because we want to create aesthetically um, uh, powerful uh, statements. It's also because we want to create informative statements. We use metaphor all the time. We use metaphor in order to create politics. We use, to, we use metaphor in order uh, to create better descriptions, uh, funnily enough, of reality. Uh, in metaphor, um, one thing stands um, for another on the basis of an analogy, right? Um, so um, the rose stands for love um, on the basis of its uh, of the fact that it's pleasing or that's beautiful. A type, though, of this kind of substitution can be a little bit more complex. We have metonymy and not simply metaphor when something is substitutes something else on the basis of a contiguity, on the basis of some sort of proximity, of some sort of relationship, not of analogy, but of contiguity. So um, in kind of the most easy um, way to think about this, um, you know, the, uh, um, your, um, your shoe may be there to symbolize you in, I don't know, in a game of, uh, I don't know, uh, um, um, music chairs, because it is part of what you were. Okay, uh, so um, or uh, you know your clothes, or um, um, you know in the more um, um, useful, synecdochal way of thinking, metonymy, uh, the uh, wings of the bird may be there to symbolize um, the bird, um, right? Uh, to stand for. Uh, the bird. I'm not going to more um, kind of detailed uh, discussion about this because it can get very, very, very technical. Uh, the point, though, is that um, instead of metaphor, often uh, literature in Greece, uh, theater a lot, and uh, cinema went for metonymy during the period that we're talking about. The family, for instance, it can be not just a metaphor, but a metonymy of a society or a nation in the sense that it is also part of it, right? It relates to it. Uh, it's a microcosm, right? It's not just standing for um, a family does not stand for the nation in terms of a, a type of analogy. It flows into the nation. <laughs> it flows into the nation, exactly. It's part of it. It has been part of it. It, it, it. There is a give and take there. And actually, if you go disciplinary techniques, for instance, are shared between the family, the school, the nation. Um, so here you go, a metonymical, a metonymical um, a relation there. Um, if you look for them, metonymies are constant in Greek cinema. Indeed, it is a way it teaches you how much metonymy has been important in the, in, in the whole cultural uh, debate and uh, the whole cultural environment in Greece in the last 10 years. Why so? Um, I, I think I have an answer. Um, let's talk about this in a moment, but uh, um, to, to, to sort of focus on the metonymy, think about um, how uh, this type of discourse uh, with which we mean one thing, but we say something different, 
uh, think how much it is important, for instance, in the way we do politics. So metonymy played a big part. Uh, it's, a, it's a good way to think um, how also in neoliberalism, in our times, politics are being constantly negotiated, um, reframed, um, re-articulated in ways that hurt, in ways that come on the body, in ways that come on material realities, in ways that are both are related in terms of contiguity with what we live. Everything is being symbolized and re-symbolized, uh, signified, but at the same time, as both, it flows, as you said. Signification, um, uh, signification does not, uh, is not anymore based on analogies. Uh, it is also based on um, w on touch, on uh, um, direct effect. On rituals and, and gestures. On rituals and gestures that then eventually gets down to, you know, to your body, to what you live through, to the doors you open, to uh, um, uh, the family next door, you know. Um, I, there's a point in order to explain this, Uh, but of course, please keep in mind the, 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 the kind of larger political um, repercussions that this can have. But um, looking at all these families uh, that suddenly flooded uh, the Greek uh, cinema, the same actually happened with literature and theater. On the issue of the family, everybody was in unison during a period. Um, looking at all these families in disarray, uh, of course, you realize they, they, they play an allegorical mode there. Uh, uh, the, there's an allegory of the nation going on when you see uh, films, uh, short stories, novels, theater, uh, plays, uh, so much about families in trouble. Okay, you look at the family, you think this is a national allegory. But is this an allegory based on metaphor only? Is this just, you have to see this outside context? Or could it be at the same time, you know, the next door family? Is this happening next door? Is all this pressure, all this violence um, happening at the same time, somewhere near? Um, is this at the same time, um, you know, an, an allegory and a realism happening, um, um, uh, happening as we speak? Well, this is this is a metonymical poetics that I I have tried to. Um, to work around. I have tried to analyze. There's a lot of metonymy of that kind going on uh, in cinema and elsewhere in uh, Greece over the last decade. Mm -hmm. This is what you describe as biopolitical realism, right? You see the Greek weird wave Uh, in a sense, uh, acknowledging the fact that power is resignified and, rep and reproduced through rituals and gestures, as we said. Yeah, um, yes, exactly. Yes, uh, biopolitical realism indeed is a central concept that I propose in the book. I see it first, I analyze it with uh, Greek cinema as a focus, but um, I believe it's larger. It's a larger modality through which, um, at the moment, the world uh, represents itself, and we also interact with it. Now, let me explain. Um, Mark Fisher, um, a decade ago, already, um, had suggested that we have entered um, in a phase of capitalist realism. Um, indeed, it is, it is that kind of thinking uh, that gave me um, the, the main idea. 
Um, for Fisher, everything now, capitalism is so ubiquitous, so everywhere, um, that uh, one cannot think of a world outside it. As a matter of fact, even the most revolutionary, the most uh, undermining, um, the, the most confrontational um, uh, ways uh, to answer back uh, to capitalism and neo-capitalism and new modes um, of capitalist organization actually become so easily co-opted by capitalism uh, that they become they, they, they end up reinvigorating the same system. So for Fisher, that was... Uh, could only be understood as a realism. We are now entering this um, constant time of capitalist realism. Anything that's real is capitalist. You know, uh, you cannot think of realism differently. And uh, uh, what is interesting is that um, exactly um, the word realism becomes very crucial here because, of course, realism is always. Um, the way we decide to represent the world, right? It's a, it's a decision. Uh, it's a phase, always. And it's the default. Really, yeah. It's a default, yeah. It's a default and it changes from period to period, but it's a default. So uh, my question was whether we are still at the same position as Fisher um, talked about uh, 10, 15 years ago of capitalist realism. And my persuasion is that we are moving on towards like an end point in capitalist realism, um, what I call biopolitical realism. Uh, remember that old film, um, The Truman Show. In that film, as I said, the main character who lives in a constant TV station and TV program, at one point decides, realizes what's happening, realizes that everything is like a, a TV station, that there are limits to that world, and decides to start going to the horizon and see uh, what's happening there. And of course, the horizon is just a painted horizon, and it is like part of the scenery. It's part of the staging. It's uh, it's the end of this. Uh, it's uh, um, the end. The end of the studio. So he goes and he pierces the studio. Okay, that moment is the moment one realizes that capitalist realism is kind of almost it has been the default but is ending, you know, we, we now have seen what's happened. But at the same time, uh, one has to, to stay within. I mean, one now has realized that, okay, what's, what's there though, uh, what's at stake is uh, the powers over his, her own body. The power over the body, the power over, over uh, the groups of people that have um, created... Uh, and still create life. That's biopolitical realism. Is the, the 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 moment when um, you 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 are much more aware of um, the capitalist realist um, sort of uh, um, position, um, and uh, you start perhaps doing something, and that that something is a little bit awkward, but it's still within the frame of accepted realism. To <clears throat> just to. Uh, add to that, of course, what makes a big difference today is the new media and the idea that every single person potentially uh, can become a narrator of their own life in different ways, can become an editor of images. Um, there is this uh, illusion that we um, that now we create our own realisms. Well, of course, that does not change much because we are within 
systems and within frames that are preordained. However, what this could change a little is this potential we have, this power we may have to create a certain awkwardness, a certain noise in that system of signification. I call biopolitical realism the moment when that noise becomes, yes, part of the system, but becomes louder and louder. I focused on the Greek weird wave of those films and so how biopolitical realism can be there, both a description, both a way of showing where we are at, but um, also a way of producing noise, um, disarticulation. Um, it's much larger in Greece, and I believe it's much larger in cinema as well. Um, new models of art um, will come within that biopolitical realism, uh, as will also um, uh, happen with new politics, to be honest. It's not, it's not only a positive thing. Biopolitical realism means uh, being uh, quite realist about biopolitics. It also means, though, um, trying to do something new, to, to, to show the limits, to show the frames, uh, to pierce the studio a little bit, even if you have to stay within. <laughs> Uh, if I'm not mistaken, this uh, uh, this take on the Greek weird wave seems to coincide with a, a general um, interest you have in reframing uh, modern Greek society, right, and its representations. <laughs> yes. Um, well, um, I I teach modern Greek studies uh, in a British university, uh, and uh, it has always been a question: uh, What do you do from this kind of outsider's uh, position? with an outsider's position that has to also be very insiders in the sense that you teach um, people sometimes with no connection to Greece about Greece um, and about Greek history, Greek literature, Greek culture. So um, in that sense, it's constantly in my mind, uh, how do we reinvigorate the interest in Greece as a kind of a local gay ca case with a global uh, signification, is a local case and global debate. Uh, constantly, um, and not only historically, uh, also in terms of culture. And in that sense, uh, yes, uh, uh, the the cinema we have been talking about gives us a good example. Since in uh, only ten years, it has become a truly international um, and internationally distributed um, cinema. Um, as I said, films find audiences everywhere. And, uh, you know, um, I, I, with a group of colleagues, um, including uh, from other universities, the University of Amsterdam, uh, University of Durham, we put together our forces and in Oxford as well. And we're trying to speak about this new Greece, this new Greece that came out of, uh, of the crisis, but also to look back and to, to, to sort of uh, rethink Um, the history of Greek culture and uh, to rethink Greek studies really uh, from the perspective of now and after the experience of the Greek crisis. Uh, we recently put together even a website that's called Greek Studies Now, greekstudiesnow.org um, and um, the whole point is to create forms of debate and uh, um, platforms of debate um, of this uh, new uh, insight to Greece, uh, like the insights we have been talking about today, like the insights that cinema gave us uh, in the last 10 years, and uh, to see where we can go on from there. So, uh, certainly, this is a much more internationally uh, influenced and um, rather a more, much more international discussion about Greece 
And I think it's a good moment to reframe a number of debates and rethink um, a number of the central questions about Greek society. And on that note, Dimitri Manikola, <laughs> thank you for joining us at the Archipelago. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you.